So welcome to the inaugural Canton Bible Church Bible Study Hour. We'll um, open with a word of prayer, if we could, please. Our Father, we are grateful to be able to come together as the church and to worship you through the study of your word. Father, thank you for these dear brothers and sisters who desire to understand your word better, to dive deep into the scriptures that we might be instructed, that they might affect the way that we live our lives day by day, that, Lord, hopefully we will be more pleasing to you. Lord, uh, we're just grateful for this place to be able to come together. Pray that you would guide our discussion, that everything that we would talk about would be edifying to the believers and to your glory that you would be pleased with our study this morning. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, some of you have been in my class before, some of you have not. And what I like to do is have you say about as much as I say. So I'll ask uh, a lot of questions um, and look for input from you. Because I think that's beneficial. First of all, it helps me to know what you're thinking and make sure that I'm connecting with you with what I'm saying. But it also, um, I don't have um, the exclusive grasp of the truth. You guys, the Spirit will often illumine your minds and bring something to your remembrance that I haven't thought about. And so that input from you is helpful not only to me, but to the rest of the believers in the class. And so I'm looking for you to say some thanks. Okay? Um, yeah. Yeah, and um, it, it'll work, I promise. I've done it in classes much larger than this, and um, a lot of conversation. And uh, if you start to say something and I think you're going off point, I'll probably stop you. And, uh, and that's okay, too. I mean, I won't do it in an ugly way, but we'll, we'll just have this discussion. Probably not as much this morning as we will in coming weeks, um, because this morning I'd like to simply introduce the topic that we're going to talk about for a while. Okay, I don't know how long this will go. Um, the last time I taught Revelation, that's not where we're going to go First, it took me four years. Okay, and when last time I talked Daniel, which we are going to take a look at, it took over a year. And Ezekiel was about another year. So um, the Lord knows, and we'll go at whatever pace um, makes sense. And so I don't know exactly how long this will start, but I know what I'm going to do. Uh, what I've, when I taught eschatology in the past, what I found myself doing is having to backtrack and look at the Old Testament background that gives you a better understanding of what the New Testament is saying. And so I'm going to start in the Old Testament. And I'm probably going to start all the way, I I know I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy, I may go all the way back to Genesis, where God gives the original promises to Abraham. I haven't quite decided, but that's probably what we'll do in in a very overview way. And then uh, go to Deuteronomy, go to Joshua, go to Ezekiel, go to Daniel, probably some in Isaiah, um, to try and get um, not just a, a narrow view of eschatology, but the overall plan of God and how eschatology works into that. 
because there's no breakage there, I believe. I think that the two work hand in hand. So that's what I'm going to try and do, is give us some of the background before we go look at the detail, and then your mind will already have all that information, and we'll be able to look at the New Testament. And some things that maybe in the past haven't made any sense to you will all of a sudden make sense, because you will have the Old Testament background and understanding of what was written by the ancient prophets. So um, anyway, that's what we'll do. Before we try and just jump into some scripture, there are some things I would like to talk about, um, such as, is it even appropriate for us to spend so much time looking at eschatology? Is that something that the church should do? And is that something that is even important to us when God's going to work it out, how God's going to work it out anyway in the end, and maybe some of the ideas we have aren't correct. Maybe some are, but not maybe all are. And so um, when I teach this, you'll find me certainly telling you what I believe, but not being dogmatic in a good bit, a good bit of it, because there are other people who have different perspectives. And we're going to talk about some of those perspectives if not this morning, then um, at the beginning of next week, we'll just see how far we get into this. So when you think of the term eschatology, what comes to your mind? What do you think about? What's the first things that begin to pop into your mind? End All right, the end times, because the definition of eschatology is uh, a system of doctrine that teaches about the end of things. And that could be the end of life, it could be the end of the age, it could be in, the end of the world. All right, so end times, what else comes to your mind? Just as you think about, we're going to study eschatology, so what's it going to involve? I said I was going to ask you questions. Your job is to answer them. Prophecy. <laughs> All right, prophecy, because the Old Testament is full of it. So is the New Testament. What else would you say, Cindy? Rapture. All right, the rapture, which is an element of the end times. We believe in the rapture, but there are many people who don't believe in the rapture that are good and true believers. They're just as much believers in Jesus Christ as we are, but they don't believe there's going to be a rapture. Or if there's going to be a rapture, they don't agree with us on when it's going to happen. We'll talk about all those things. What else? What comes to your mind? You know, think about uh, Armageddon, which is or the apocalypse, which is where often the world goes to when they think about it. Well, again, like the rapture, that's just one element just one instant, really, in time is the Battle of Armageddon. doesn't last a long time. It's not really a battle at all. It's a slaughter with just the spoken word of Jesus Christ. And the Scriptures makes that clear. There's no big battle going on. No one fights at all. But nevertheless, the world has their own picture of what Armageddon really means. What happens to the church, what happens to the church when? Also, right? Is the church here during what Jesus calls the, the great tribulation such as has never been before? Or are we already gone? Again, there's disagreement on when that happens or even if it, it even happens at all. 
So, uh, I mean, I will be very explicit with you with what I believe and what the church, the elders believe and what's in our doctrinal statement. Um, it's not hard to understand. But there are people who disagree with us. Right? What else comes to your mind? Judgment. Judgment, which again is an element of the end times. And judgment of this present world or judgment of those who've lived before us or judgment of those who are alive when Jesus comes. There's all different types of ways to think about judgment and how it's dispelled at the end of the age. What else? Anything else come to your mind when you think about eschatology? Go ahead, Judy. Okay, this, um, you know, Peter makes that pretty clear in Second Peter chapter 3 that uh, the elements will melt with fire, uh, the world will be destroyed with fire, and then it will be uncreated, that I like to say, the, all the atoms split apart, and then it will be recreated. There are people even in this church who disagree with that and believe that it's not destroyed, but it's renewed. It's made anew. It's um, of a different quality than it currently is, but it's the same earth. And that's okay. I don't have a problem with that because, again, we can't be locked down dogmatic about some of these things because the other views and the other perspectives do have some credence. Okay? So there's not complete agreement even... um, among all those who are of the same persuasion that we are, even use the same hermeneutic we do. There's not full agreement. But that's okay, because you have to make decisions as we go through this as to what you do believe and what the Scriptures do convince you of. And I'm pretty convinced of what I teach. Uh, I've studied it a lot, and um, I've looked at the other perspectives. That's why I can speak to them to some degree because I've read their books and I've read what their theology is and and I understand it and I understand their arguments, I just disagree with them. I come to different conclusions than they do. So that's okay, and it's okay if all of us don't agree on it. That's why we're having this class, right? It's so we can discuss it and you can think through it and you can determine what you do want to lock down to. are some things that maybe you can't, and that's okay. You just keep studying. Anytime you come to Scripture and you don't fully understand it, you don't give up. You don't just say, okay, well, I'm not going to study that anymore because I can't understand it. You keep studying. And you ask the Spirit to illumine your mind and show you the truth and help you to work out what you truly do believe and what you can defend from the Scriptures. Because I'll promise you, anything that I teach you, I can defend. From the scripture, as a matter of fact, that is what this class will be, is me showing you what I believe the scriptures mean and how clear they are. Because this, is, this stuff is not obscure. It's not um, like you can't understand it. Um, you just have to decide and be convinced from the scriptures. And so I trust the Spirit to do that. So I don't get real hung up if you don't agree with me. Okay? Everybody has a right to be wrong. And... <laughs> No, we'll trust the, script, the, the, the Scriptures and the Spirit to help us to understand. And that's always our uh, bent in anything that I try and teach. Now, I think there's much to be gained 
from the study of eschatology. There's a great benefit to the believer. What would some of those benefits be? Why why spend as much time as we're going to spend in eschatology? How does it benefit me in my life today? What would you? How would you answer that? There's affirmation there. There's affirmation. As you see prophecy fulfilled, you can say that's got to be right. That's right. The whole life. Right, and you know, we live in the 2020s now, right? And there have been a lot of people who lived before us. And there have been a lot of people who said, oh, this seems to fit. And so you go from your present perspective of what the Scripture says and where you're living. And there have been a lot of people who thought that Jesus Christ, I mean, true, solid believers who understood the Scriptures, who thought Jesus would have come way before now. Yeah, Paul was looking for him. Peter, you know, is, you think about, we're going to look at some, what some of the apostles taught. You think about Peter. Peter knew that he was not going to see the return of Jesus Christ, right? Because Jesus said, this is the way you're going to die. So Peter knew he was going to die before Jesus came again. Yet he still writes about the end times. So it had to be a reason that he did that. So um, it does help you see pro- prophecy as it's been fulfilled over the years and maybe is being fulfilled even in front of us today. Well, go ahead. We should study what we call eschatology because it's in the Bible. Okay, simply because it's in the Bible. The author of the Bible is quite good at what he does. And it's there for a purpose. But it should move the believer to holy living. Right. It's not kingdom now, you know. And... Uh, it should move us, if we think we're going to stand face to face this afternoon, the Lord's going to affect how we live this morning. So it's the any moment expectation, not just death, but, you know, whatever. Uh, this is not the end game. This is not all that there is. Well, and we're not citizens of this world, right? I mean, there's much more to come that'll last a lot longer than our days on this earth. Hallelujah. You know, and thank God for that, right? Um And the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. There is nothing in the Scriptures to be fulfilled before Jesus comes again. Nothing. You know, there are people who say, no, it's got to be preached to all um, of the nations. And the Scriptures will be preached to all of the nations, but I believe, not by us, but by angels in the midheaven. Revelation makes that very, very clear that the angels in the midheaven, meaning in our atmosphere, speak to all the nations about what's happening. And so that prophecy that all people have to hear it, true, but not necessarily by us. Go ahead, David. It, it brings a, a great source of hope. Yeah, it does like, uh, bring hope. Where does it say that comfort you Right, in Thessalonians, Paul, writing to the believers, taught them about um, death and those who've fallen asleep in Jesus Christ and that they will precede you and all those types of statements. And at the end, he says, comfort each other with these words. And so it does bring not only comfort, but hope. Now, that's a little crazy to me because thinking about destruction and judgment and war and battles and brings hope. 
because that's not the end game. That's not the end of it all. Because when Christ does physically come again, then he puts an end to all of that. And ultimately, the end state is a blissful state where believers are with God, literally, with an exchanged body that is no longer tainted with sin. So those thoughts definitely provide comfort. And, and the thought of heaven and the final end game is part of eschatology. I mean, the last three chapters of Revelation go there, right? That's what they talk about, is what happens after all of the destruction and all of the judgment. And the celestial city and the guy with the rod who goes and measures everything. So a lot of detail given in Revelation about what heaven looks like and where we'll dwell forever. So there is hope that comes out of this. And, you know, if, if you just study eschatology for what's going to happen in the tribulation and Armageddon and all of that horrendous time, then it's pretty discouraging. But if you look at the whole picture, which is what we want to look at, then it's very comforting to the believer and very encouraging. So there are, there are all these different reasons, I believe, and Ed, I think you said it best, um, simply because it's in the, in the Bible. I mean, all Scripture is inspired, right? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I mean, and, and that includes the eschatology passages. They're there for a reason. And, and, you know, if it was just one book or one statement or a couple of statements, then that'd be one thing. But it's not. You know, every time Jesus or the apostles said, in that day, they're talking about what we're studying. That day is an eschatological term that speaks to the final times. Because it's the time, usually in their reference, they were talking about judgment that would come in that day. Now, I think it also, as we study eschatology, helps us to understand God's plan that he wrote in his book before the foundations of the earth. You know, you'll notice, I don't know if you've noticed this, as you listen to the angels uh, in Daniel and in Revelation, especially the one in Daniel. I think the guy in Daniel, the angel in Daniel, is literally reading out of the book that has all the plans written in it. Because that's what he says. He took the book and he spoke to Daniel. So I think he's reading a page out of the book to Daniel as he, you know, especially over in chapter get this right, I think it's 11, where he gives so many details of what's going to happen in the future. You know, in the time of the ancient Greeks and the Romans and all the battles that were going to take, I believe there's over a hundred specific prophecies in that chapter. And he basically paints what happened in history that we can look very specifically. We can put names to the people he doesn't put names to. And we'll eventually do that when we get over there. Because it's, it's, you talk about encouraging. If Daniel in the 600s could write about what was going to happen in the 200s and 100s and get it exactly right, then I think God knows what he's doing. 
And it's all read from the book by the angel. So there's, it helps us to understand what God has been about and what he is about in fulfilling his plan, his overall plan. That's why we want to go back and see how it fits into the Old, Te- Old Testament prophecies and promises that God made to individuals. Um, you said all these other things that I have written down. It, and this topic was important not only to the apostles, but to Jesus Christ himself. And I'll show you that. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about eschatology today is Second Peter chapter 3, because that's where we just studied not very long ago, and it's fresh in my mind. So turn to Second Peter chapter 3 and look at the first three verses. What I want to do is go to a few selected texts and show you how important eschatology was to the New Testament writers and speakers. Just those first opening verses of Second Peter chapter 3. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring you up, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. So, in the last days. Certainly a term that is basically the definition of what eschatology is. And so here's Peter. You know, and think about where Peter's at in his life. Maybe in prison, maybe not, but in Rome is where he's writing from. So, and, and if he's not in prison, he soon will be, and he'll be martyred by being crucified, tradition says, upside down. And so he's within a very short period of that. And yet at the very last book that he writes, at the end of it, he says, I want to remind you about what's going to happen in the last days, knowing that he's not going to live through it, that he's getting ready to be poured out. He writes about eschatology in excruciating detail, right? He doesn't just say, well, things are going to come to an end. No, he gives us graphic descriptions of what's going to happen. He uses three terms to describe this beyond the last days. He calls it the day of judgment, and the day of the Lord, and the day of God. And uh, and then what we just read, the last days. So all four of those are synonyms for what we're going to study and talk about, which is the end of all things, the end of all time. And he is the one who gives us the graphic description about the undoing of the creation. The elements are going to melt with intense heat. And so Peter thought it was pretty important. Comes to the end of his life, and the last thing he wants to remind them about is the return of Jesus Christ. 
because that's what this chapter is about. If you go back to chapter 1 in 2 Peter, it's about the same thing. The last 15 verses or so are about a defense of the return of the doctrine that Jesus Christ will return again. That's what Peter writes about in this book. It's probably the main prominent theme other than exposing the false teachings. This is the doctrine he's trying to defend in 2 Peter. So Jesus himself, as you well know, John David will eventually get here. Okay, Matthew chapter 24. He will eventually get there. I trust the Lord for that, okay? Um, If the Lord doesn't come before that, then it'll take him a while, but he'll get here. And in chapter 20, not just chapter 24, but all the way through chapter 25, Jesus is giving this discourse about the end of the times. And turn there and you'll see a couple of the, the terms that Jesus uses, Matthew chapter 24, and it goes all the way through 25, really. He, he gives this talk about the tribulation time, and then he goes and gives four parables, and then he returns, not, and those parables are related to being ready for the return of Jesus Christ, is what they're all about. And then he gives a word about the final judgment and the division of the sheep and the goats. All of that is in this discourse that Jesus Christ gives in Matthew 24 and 25. And you'll see in in verse 15 where he uses a different term to talk about it. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. And then he says, let the reader understand. (laughs) So when you get to Daniel and you study the abomination of desolation, which does happen in Daniel, you know that's not what Daniel's writing about, right? Because here's Jesus Christ 600 years later saying, this hasn't happened yet. When you see it, when it does happen, meaning the abomination of desolation that Daniel writes about is not just the time when Antiochus went into Jerusalem and wreaked havoc. That's not it. That's just a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ says is going to happen after me. And so you know that straight up. And so when we get to the abomination of desolation in Daniel, you know that Jesus uses that. You have to know that, otherwise you get it wrong when you're over in Daniel. So you have to look at the complete picture of what's going on. Then look down in verse 34. Nope, sorry, I went too far. Verse 21 And you'll see that Christ says how bad it's going to be. For then there will be a great tribulation such as never occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. That means Jesus Christ is talking about something that has not yet happened. Right? It's going to be worse than it was when Antiochus did his havoc on the altar of God. It's going to be worse than when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. It's going to be worse than those times. 
And then he, sa- he, he goes on here to say that God will put a limit on what will happen. Yeah, verse 22, the next verse. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. Meaning everybody on the planet would be dead if God doesn't stop this short of being completed by whoever's doing it. But God does cut it short. And then you look, I'm going to give you a time frame reference of when this is in the life of Jesus Christ. Look down at chapter 25, after he talks about the judgments, down in verse 34. That's not correct. Hold on. I wrote down the wrong verse. Hate when I do this. Chapter 26, verse 2. When Jesus had finished saying all these words, talking about his eschatology passage, chapters 24 and 25, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for the crucifixion. This is less than 72 hours before Jesus Christ is taken into custody. It's at the very last of his life. He knows that he's getting ready to be handed over. This is, a, this is during um, the Passover week. This is the week of passion that we talk about. And in the two days from the last day, when he's handed over, Jesus Christ takes enough time to give four parables and a lot of detail about what's going to happen in the tribulation. I mean, if you read all of this, he talks about what's going to happen in the cosmos and how the foundations of the earth will be shaken, how the sun won't shine and the moon will be darkened, the stars will fall from the sky. All these things are here in chapter 24. So Jesus Christ thought it was important enough to talk about it in the very last time before he was taken into custody. This is one of the last things that his apostles heard him teach. So he thought it was pretty important. Again, like Peter, doing it right at the very end of his life. Now, not only Peter, not only Jesus Christ, but the guy we have most of the books from in the New Testament, Paul, thought that eschatology was pretty important. And I want to show you how we know that. Not only the passages that he wrote, but the circumstances under which he wrote them show us that Paul thought that eschatology was extremely important. So I want to walk you through a couple of things. Look in Acts chapter 17. You know, the last half of Acts, first half is about Peter, the last half is about Paul in his missionary journeys and all that took place there. And this is on Paul's second missionary journey. And he's going into, this is the place where um, the vision calls to him, come over into Macedonia. 
And so he goes over into Macedonia and, and bad things begin to happen. And in chapter 17, after Paul has been to a few other cities, Iconium and Derbe, and he's been run out of those cities. Matter of fact, in the passage just before this one is the, is the passage where Paul gets stoned and is drug outside of the city and left for dead. And of course he gets up and he goes back into the cities who stoned him. Now, you know, if I threw a stone and thought Paul was dead and drug him outside of the city and the next day he came walking by, I, I think I'd be terrified. Because we just killed this guy yesterday. Right? I mean, they were certain he was dead. He was not. But, so then we get to chapter 17. And just the first couple of verses here. Now, when they had arrived through Amphipolis, you can say that, right? Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where the Jews, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining, giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. All right. Now, how long, how many weeks did he teach in the synagogue? Three, right? So that's at least two weeks long, right? First day could have been a Sabbath, and the last day a Sabbath, so you got 15 days. Or it could be a little bit longer than that. Or some say, well, he had been there for a while. Now, we all know Paul, right? Nice, patient, not impetuous, always waits until a lot of time goes by before he begins to teach. Never. Never, Right? First thing he does when he gets to a place is he begins to teach. So maybe he had been there for a week or two, I don't know. But I don't think he had been there for a long time when he began to teach in the the synagogue on the Sabbaths. So give it a month at most that he was in Thessalonica. And then he gets um, run out. You look down in verse 10. And they come after Paul, so they go to Jason's house, where apparently he was staying. And he's not there. So they drag Jason out, and they make Jason pledge that he's no longer going to house Paul and his companion Silas. And so Jason makes that pledge. And then you get to verse 10, and it says, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. To do what? To begin to teach again. He never waits. He's always, first thing he does is begin to teach. So he's in Thessalonica, three Sabbaths. Or at least three that are detailed, maybe one or two more. So maybe a month that he's there. Then he gets, they take him out and send him to Berea. The guys from Thessalonica chase him to Berea. So he leaves Berea and goes down to Athens, stays there for a little while and waits for his companions to catch up with him. And then he goes around the corner to Corinth and stays in Corinth for a year and a half. So that's the missionary journey. But Paul was only with the Thessalonians for maybe a month. Maybe. Maybe less. Maybe only of those three Sabbaths is when he taught And so you look at the book that he wrote to them, 
over in 1 Thessalonians. And it's very interesting what Paul writes to them. First Thessalonians, and turn all the way back to chapter 5. And notice what he writes in the first opening verses of First Thessalonians chapter 5. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Why not? Because they already knew it. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. How do they know that? Because Paul taught them that. In those few short weeks when Paul was there, he not only taught them about Jesus Christ coming again, but the manner in which it would happen. And I dare say he taught them a lot more about what was going to happen. Well, how do you know that? Because 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Turn over there. Just a few pages over. 2 Thessalonians 2. Again, the opening verses. Now we request, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed by their spirit or a message or a letter as if it is from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. They already knew that. Paul says, just remember what I wrote to you. And by the way, this he's talking about whom? Who's the man of lawlessness? We call him Antichrist, right? He's the guy that Daniel um, wrote about and said he's the prince who is to come. Or you get over the Revelation in chapter 13 and Paul calls him, uh, John calls him the beast. This is all the same person. This is the Antichrist. So Paul not only taught them about the return of Jesus Christ and how it would come as a thief in the night, he taught them about the Antichrist coming. And the wreaking of havoc. And by the way, the sitting on the seat of God and proclaiming himself, that is the abomination of desolation. So he taught them about that, the same thing that Jesus taught about. So Paul thought it was important enough that these believers learn and understand this eschatology that he taught them within three weeks, four weeks of being in Thessalonica. He didn't wait until they were mature and had grown and uh, understood everything and could put it on. He taught it at the very beginning. It was part, I believe, of his gospel. Because the return of Jesus Christ is part of the gospel. And so is all this that he's going to do at the end of the age. That is part of the story about Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it's incomplete, right? So what if he died and went back to heaven? I'm left here on earth. No, he's coming to get you, and he's preparing a place for you, and he's going to take you to be with him. That's all part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul made sure that at the very beginning, he didn't wait until a long time. And within those three or four weeks that he was in Thessalonica, he taught them and he taught them in great detail. So he says, you don't need me to write this to you because you already know it. I taught it to you. Same thing Peter, by the way, writes, right? He says, not that I'm teaching you something new, but I'm stirring you up by way of reminder. You already know these things. I'm just reminding you of them. And as far as we know, no apostle went to the people that Peter was writing to. Paul wanted to, but he in Acts says, the Spirit of God would not permit me to go into this area that we're talking about, that, Paul, that Peter was writing to. So somebody took the gospel to them and knew enough that he needed to teach them about eschatology because Peter's just saying, I'm just reminding you about what you already know. So this is replete throughout the New Testament where the apostles included the doctrine of eschatology in what they considered to be important for these believers to know and to understand. Now, they didn't have the book of Revelation, remember, when they're writing this. They had the teaching of Jesus Christ three days before he was crucified. They didn't have the book of John and, could, and all that John writes later. John wrote at the very end. He's the last guy to write. And so they didn't have the writings of John. They didn't even have the teachings of John because John hadn't seen the vision yet. So they don't know about all that. But they knew enough and thought it was important enough that they taught about the abomination of desolation and the coming of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, and the return of Jesus Christ. So these things are important from the Scriptures. They were important to Jesus Christ. They were important to the apostles. So we would be negligent not to study them. Now, there would be many who would say, no, that, that can't be right. Because these things are just too difficult to understand. You can't really understand what the book of Revelation is about. Well, the last thing I want to show you is what the book of Revelation says about itself. Look over to Revelation, just the opening verses. You know, and this is called the Revelation because it's, and you, could, you could debate this, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's the revelation of. Not the revelation of what's going to happen at the end of the age, but the revelation of Jesus Christ in all His glory. All right, and you look at verse 3 of Revelation. How does it open? Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, how can you heed the things that are in it if you don't read it and study it? You can't. And so right there, this says, Macarius, blessed is he who reads this prophecy and heeds it, meaning you respond to it in your life. Now, the very end of Revelation Chapter 22, in verse 16. 
Jesus himself speaking. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He wrote it for who? For the churches. That's us. We're part of the church. So he wrote it so that they might read it and heed it and understand it. It is not, not beyond your comprehension. It is not. There are some things that are difficult. I would never say they're not. There's some imagery. There's some literal. You have to use a lot of this Bible to know exactly what's being talked about. I'll agree with that. But it's not ununderstandable. It's not. You have the Spirit of God living within you. The Spirit of God led John to write this. He intended for you to understand what it says. And he intended for our study of eschatology to do what he just said, meaning that you heed it, that it should affect the way that you think and the way that you live. It should cause you in, when riots are breaking out all over the United States to take comfort in what's going to ultimately be true. We live in dangerous times. There's all kinds of things happening, not just in the United States, but across the whole world. But eschatology is there so that we might expect what these things are going to ha- that are going to happen. You know, Jesus in the upper room to the disciples said, I'm telling you these things so that when they happen, you'll remember that I told you about them. You'll know that I'm true. That's the same thing with eschatology. He's writing these, these things have been written for our study so that when we see them unfolded, we might take comfort and we might cling to our God and to the belief in Jesus Christ. That's why we're studying this. That's the whole purpose. Now, next week as we come back, We'll spend some time looking at all the crazy terms, the premillennial, the amillennial, the postmillennial, the uh, dispensations, um, the, you know, all these different teachings, the covenant theology. We'll kind of do a skim through all of those so we can see what we don't believe. And then we'll talk about what we do believe. Okay, and there, again, I don't mean... And I don't intend to belittle anyone who does not agree with me on eschatology. Not at all. They have reasons for what they believe. I think they're unfounded, but nevertheless, they believe they're founded. And they can speak from the scriptures to what they believe. I think they just miss some things. But they're sincere. They're honest. They truly believe them. They truly love the Lord Jesus every bit as much as I do but they, we just disagree on eschatology. That's okay. You know, when at the end, we'll know who was right. And probably none of us have it all right. So I'm still learning. I'm still understanding. We're all still growing. So we're not going to belittle anybody, but we're going to talk about what they believe because you have to know what to listen to and what not to listen to. Okay? Anything, any final thing you want to say? Any comments? Thank you for your time this morning. We're done. You're dismissed.